Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today, and welcome to all of you who have recently joined our podcast. Our community of listeners is growing faster than expected, so thank you for sharing the podcast link with your friends. And most of all, we're excited that you've made Open Your Eyes an important part of your inspiration time each week. Now, if you want to find the home channel for Open Your Eyes, go to openyoureyes.org to find your podcast channel and then subscribe so you get automatic updates as they're released each Monday. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about putting on your personal power. On Christmas Eve, Julianne, a new high school graduate, boarded a plane with her mother. The flight was from Lima to a research station in central Peru. Her father, Hans Wilhelm, a college professor, operated the station to study the flora and fauna of the Amazon rainforest. Unable to find another flight, the two travelers boarded a Lockheed L-188 aircraft with 92 other passengers. The plane was operated by Lanza, an airline with a rather poor reputation. The flight from Lima was delayed several hours because of weather. But because they wanted to be there by Christmas, Julianne and her mother boarded the plane in the middle of a rainstorm. And 10 minutes into the flight, as the plane ascended past 10,000 feet, the pilot steered the aircraft into a fearsome dark cloud. Immediately, there was heavy turbulence. The plane started lurching up and down and side to side. Packages, suitcases, and Christmas gifts were tossed all about the cabin, and the passengers began to cry and scream. All Julianne could do was hold on to her mother's hand and tighten her seatbelt. In the middle of the massive dark clouds, Julianne could see lightning strikes happening all around them, dozens of them. Suddenly, there was a bright light on the left side of the aircraft that filled the passenger cabin, and her mother exclaimed, this is the end, it's all over. And the plane tipped forward into a nosedive towards the ground. Julianne couldn't hear over the deep roar of the engines. Then, in a matter of only a few seconds, The engine roaring stopped, and Julianne realized she was outside of the plane. All she could hear was the blowing and whispering of the wind. Soon she realized that the plane had broken into pieces, and she was spinning round and round in the air, still strapped to her row of seats. She looked to her side to see where her mother was also strapped in, but her mother was gone. Julianne was alone and free-falling through the air, at 10,000 feet. Now, the weight of the seat pulling on the seatbelt was squeezing her so tight and the pain so excruciating that for a moment, she lost consciousness. When she regained her senses, she saw the treetops closing in on her at over 100 miles per hour. Then she blacked out. She said, I'll never forget the image I saw when I opened my eyes the next morning. I saw the trees above me with the light gleaming through And I was lying on the mud next to a row of seats, and I was alone, utterly alone. With a near-fatal concussion, her left eye was swollen shut, and her right eye was only slightly open. She lost her glasses and couldn't see. Her collarbone was broken. Her left leg was cut wide open. She began to crawl around, almost blind, searching for her mother on the floor of the rainforest. She called out in desperation. She heard no one. 
She found nothing but mounds of ants and beetles and spiders and mosquitoes. There was no sign of the plane wreckage anywhere around her, except she found a bag of candy, which became her only source of food. In the first few days of survival, she heard the sound of airplane engines overhead, but there was no way for anyone to see her buried under the canopy of trees and overgrowth that covered her. On the fourth day, she found a bench from the plane with three passengers attached to the bench. They had fallen headfirst into the ground, and none survived. She waited for help to arrive. None came. She hoped that someone would find her. No one did. She wished she hadn't taken the flight in the middle of the rainstorm, but she had. And as she waited and hoped and wished, none of her circumstances changed. Finally, she came to a determination that she must save herself or die hoping and wishing. Have you ever felt that way in life? Powerless, waiting for the right circumstance, hoping for things to change, wishing life was different? I have. You know, if you look up the word determine in the dictionary, you'll see one of the definitions is to settle a dispute. When you go to a judge, he or she will give you a determination. So it is with us. The first thing we must do when determining is to settle the dispute inside us. I want to, but it's hard. I'm willing, but unable. I set a goal, but in the difficult moments, I falter. And like Julianne, before we can move forward, we must determine the dispute inside of us before we can go on to change. Are you waiting for your situation to change before you go to work? Are you hoping to feel better soon so you can decide to move forward? Now, if this describes you lately, then remember Julianne. When she finally determined and found her determination and decided to move from the area where she had landed in the rainforest, she suddenly remembered her father telling her to follow the water, that streamlets turn into streams, which turn into rivers, and rivers lead to civilization. So she followed the trickle of water to a stream. And as she followed the stream through the thick vegetation, she encountered snakes, spiders, and poisonous plants. But the stream led to a river swollen and muddy because of the rainy season. And she decided to float down the muddy river. Each night as the sun set, she slept on the ground in the rain, wet and cold. The mosquitoes were relentless, crawling into her ears and nose. And every morning she faced the decision, should I continue or give up? Every day she determined to move on. And that determination gave her personal power. After 10 days of floating in the water, she saw a small cabin, and inside the cabin, she found gasoline. You see, her body was covered in maggots, and she poured the gasoline on her arm, and 40 maggots, she said, fell off. She had second-degree burns on her back and neck from the sun, but she had found some civilization. Soon, several lumbermen arrived and helped her find safety to a hospital and eventually to her father. Years later, she returned to the jungle and found the wreckage of the plane. She was the only survivor from her flight, and she credits her determination as the factor that saved her life. You know, that's how life is, isn't it? Here we are waiting in the spot where life has tossed us, and when we get determined to move, we follow a small stream, an idea or an inclination, which leads to a river, a new opportunity or person which leads to a cabin or home or others 
who can help us, and so forth. Your determination does not often result in some huge, perfect, immediate solution, but a small stream of opportunity, and then determination carries you through each day of decision-making, and soon you have the power you were looking for. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had several times in my life where I have given in several times to a habit and circumstance and failure, and I perpetually let myself down. But like you, I've had a few times where I've said in so many words, no more. I will do what I can and should do. I will change. And I'm determined to start walking out of my jungle of fear and worry and habit, so to speak, and will do so no matter what. Now, I don't know all the storms and falls and trials in your life. And I don't know all of your personal struggles, and I'm not privy to your private worries, but I know you have them. We all do. And I would dare say you came to this podcast today carrying a few of those worries along with you. And if I know anything, I know this for certain. You are of more value than your past performance, and you're greater than your habits, and you're important, loved, and precious to your maker, to your family, to your team. And you've made such a significant contribution in the past, but it is nothing compared to what you can do in the future. You are equipped, able, and fortified to make an amazing contribution still in this life. And your talents are needed. Your worth, priceless. And you have not retreated, moved, or fallen further than can be recovered. You are strong enough to rise again, and inside of you is the power to do. You have the power to make your life a glorious life. And here's how I know that. Everyone can find their personal power. It's not a mystery. It can be done by every one of us. And once acquired, it will empower you to act and do what you have thus far been unable to do. Now, research has proven that people with personal power are less stressed, achieve goals regularly despite adversity, are healthier than their peers, are generally more happy, more admired, appropriately assertive, serve beyond their strengths, and are highly adaptive. So, how do you put on your personal power? Well, self-determination and personal power have been the topic of hundreds of research studies. You see, our tendencies in life to grow, overcome challenges, and experience new things is not automatic. And like our bodies and life itself, It needs to be fed. Your personal power needs to be fed. And it requires nutrition, ongoing personal and social nutrition. Research has shown that one of the most basic sources of personal power nutrition is competence. This theory centers on the idea that when people feel that they have the skills needed for success, they are more likely to take action that will help them achieve their goals. Now, we saw this with Julianne. The skill or knowledge from her father to follow the stream to a river and to civilization was a skill or understanding that empowered her. For years in my life and career, I'd been told several times by people close to me that I respected that I was not a strong people person. And for a while, I bought into that fact. I worried that I would say something wrong. I was uncomfortable in awkward people situations. And the truth was, I was not as good as others at communicating. But another truth was this. I wasn't lousy. It was a weakness, but it wasn't such a weakness I couldn't change and improve. 
I remember about 20 years ago going to an event where there were dozens of CEOs of large companies. The night before our meetings were to begin, there was a reception, and I was tempted just to skip the reception, but I went. As I walked into the room and saw people gathered in groups and talking, I felt alone, uncomfortable, and intimidated. I felt afraid to be in the room by myself, facing the uncomfortable prospect of introducing myself to others and having something interesting to say. So I stood awkwardly at the food table and found something to eat, but I was too afraid to eat. Why was I afraid? I don't know, but that voice I had heard all those years kept repeating in my mind, you are not a good people person. So I talked for a few minutes with a few people, and then I snuck out of the reception and went back to my room. I remember saying to myself, what are you thinking? You're probably the most talented guy in the room, and you're buying into some label that someone has given you. And I resolved, I determined that night that that would never happen to me again. So the first thing I did was start to learn. And learning grew my determination to change. Here's some of my early learning that gave me increased personal power to improve. I learned that when you walk up to someone and begin talking to them for the first time, that a skill is to imagine in your mind that they are a close friend from college that you haven't talked to in many years. I will now literally do that. And when I do, my voice tone, my eye contact, my body language and posture changes. And the thing is, those that I am talking to read my posture and they respond to me as if I am a long lost friend. So the reaction to my efforts is positive. And with that positive reaction, I've been able to practice and develop the skills of being a better people person. The next skill I learned was to really listen. You see, when you really listen, you don't have to be impressive. Everyone is attracted to people who really listen. Listen with your eyes, your ears, and your body language. Now, to be a better listener, I learned that for most of us, as we talk to others, our brain is working twice as fast. We're thinking of other things. And this comes through in our body language, our facial expressions. And as a result, we look distracted and unconnected. So I learned as others talk, I think of the good characteristics that I like about that person. He's funny or her smile is attractive or I enjoy her storytelling. And that comes through in my facial expressions and body language. And they read that I like them. And even though they don't know what I'm thinking about, they respond to my active listening. And the best thing is that because of the positive thoughts I have about them, my positivity and engagement is authentic. I also learned that my position in conversations is a big deal. Have you ever noticed that some people stand and talk to you facing sideways? What do you do with a sideways stander when you're talking to them? Slowly reorient your body position to face them, not in a creepy way, but to let them know you are engaged. You see, the funny thing is, the more skills I learned, the more I wanted to put them into practice. And the more I put them into practice successfully, the more I wanted to learn, each time gaining personal power to be a people person. And you know what? I'm not perfect. I can still improve, but I am not who I told myself I was. I am a people person, and I take great pride in the fact that I made this change in life. You see, the biggest barrier to success in almost any endeavor is powerlessness. 
negativity and helplessness. And if I bought into what I was told that I wasn't a good people person, I would have stayed there hoping and wishing I was something else. Instead, I was lucky enough to discover the personal power of competence and improving your skills. Now, perhaps the most famous social research on this topic came from the revolutionary psychologist Walter Michel, who devised the marshmallow test. You may remember that in this test, children were brought into a room with a table and chair. And while sitting at the table, a marshmallow was placed in front of them. And they're told if they can resist eating the marshmallow while the researcher leaves the room, when the researcher returns, they would get two marshmallows. Then Michelle followed these same children into their later life to determine if their will to resist or not resist was a determining factor in their later success in life. And guess what? It was. But in subsequent experience, Michelle learned something even more important. He noticed in observing students who had the will to resist temptation that they employed skills or tactics to help them not eat the marshmallow until the researcher returned. They created diversions by talking to themselves, singing, or inventing games to hold their attention. And when Michelle taught other children these same skills, children routinely increased their ability to delay gratification. They also learned that the distraction could keep them from looking repeatedly at the marshmallow. The point is this, skills and power. So what does that mean for you and me? If you've recently started a new business or are encouraging someone to join you in that business and you want to give yourself or them more personal power, remember that skills and learning give you more and more lasting drive. They enable your determination. This makes sense, right? I mean, if you were trying to lose weight and you started to learn about calories and the fact that 3,500 calories equals one pound of weight, something you didn't know before, you'd be more apt to be successful at counting calories and measuring calories burned during exercise, right? And this would lead to more learning and skills and success, and that success would fuel your determination. So if you're trying to build a business, learn all you can. If you're trying to be a people person, learn all you can. And if you're trying to overcome a habit, learn all you can. So learn something new today. Any learning, even in small ways, will empower you. Now, what are the other things we can do to find and grow our personal power? We could talk about a host of research-based behaviors to drive self-determination, but I'd like to pass on one to you that you won't find in published research, but works and works consistently. As Paul Arden calls it, play your cards right. You see, back in the day, we routinely printed and handed out business cards, and we had a chance to choose a title to place on that card. And if you were self-employed, you had to choose a title. For example, are you a gas pump attendant or a petroleum executive? Are you a lawnmower or landscape developer? You see, some people put on personal power by elevating their vision of who they are and what they're doing. Let's say you've been working your business for a while and you feel a bit stuck. Give yourself a new card. Play your card right. Give yourself a new title that elevates your sense of what you're doing. Are you selling products or improving health? Are you finding customers or recruiting clients? 
You see, when I start recruiting, I do things like a recruiter. I raise my level of professionalism. I market, interview, and persuade. This is different than just finding a customer. If you happen to be a stay-at-home mom at this point in your life and career, give yourself a new title and purpose. Are you an educator, a mentor, a manager, a minister? If you're a manager, you can apply management science to what you're doing. If you're a mentor, you can follow great mentoring principles and learn about them. If you're a minister, you can begin to think and work at bringing faith into the lives of your family and children in lasting ways that will bless them throughout their life. Can you see the power of putting on a new title? Research done at the University of Cambridge and published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology shows that personal power is a real thing. For example, in one study, participants were asked to estimate the weight of a package. Then they were asked to remember a time in which they had personal power and estimate the weight again. After their remembering their personal power, their guess, their second guess, was significantly more accurate than the first. In another study, participants were given a survey to rate their personal power. Then each person was asked to lift and estimate the weight of a package. Those who were rated as having less personal power significantly overestimated the weight of the package. If we see ourselves in a certain way, we gain personal power. A horoscope is an astrological chart using the sun, moon, planets, and other aspects at the time of an event, such as a person's birth, that is used to interpret or assign traits or characteristics to a person. To the educated person, the fact that a time of birth could dictate a person's traits or behavior seems ludicrous, right? But it's interesting how many of us buy into this thinking. I'm a Libra, and I know that a Libra is diplomatic, social, and fair-minded. Partnership and working with others is important to a Libra. And over time, I've given into the fact that I am a Libra and may have those characteristics. You see, a title, a sign, can give us power. Here's a simple example. Ruth was born into a family in New Orleans. Her father was a salesman, her mother a teacher. And after Ruth was married, she moved her small family to Baton Rouge. But her marriage didn't work, and she ended up getting divorced. And as a result, she needed to put food on the table for herself and two children. She was a teacher, and she made drapes and sold them out of her home and even worked as a lab technician for a time, but she never earned enough money to send her sons to college. She needed a new title on her business card, so to speak. And she was searching the classifieds one day and found a restaurant for sale. And everyone around her told her she shouldn't do it. She wasn't a restaurant owner. However, when she read that classified ad, she read that the restaurant had opened on February 5th, 1927, the same day she was born. And she took that as a sign, a real sign to be determined in her action and lift her own sense of who she was and what she could become. So ignoring the advice of those around her, she mortgaged her house and bought the restaurant. She hired an all-female staff and went to work. She did everything in the restaurant, purchasing, managing, and butchering. She had to learn how to butcher a steak. She was only five foot two inches tall and 110 pounds, but she soon learned how to do what was necessary. She put on her personal power. 
Soon, she opened her second restaurant on the other side of the Mississippi. When her original restaurant burned down, she opened a bigger one. And then she opened another, then another. Today, there are over 100 Ruth Chris Steakhouses around the country. When her company went public, they chose Ruth, R-U-T-H, as the ticker symbol for her stock on Wall Street. So take it as a sign and put on your personal power. Marianne Williamson wrote a rather famous quote that was mistakenly attributed to Nelson Mandela's inauguration speech, but he neither wrote it or used it. However, he should have. It says, Our deepest fear is that we are not weak. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God, and your playing small does not serve the world. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So this leads us to our last tool for putting on personal power. Bring all the positive emotion you can to what you do. Nothing brings power more than positive emotion. Positive emotions widen our span of attention and deepen our strength of resolve. It's been shown that with most negative emotion, our anxiety increases tenfold. And that anxiety takes up bandwidth in our thinking and in our day, otherwise reserved for focus. In psychology, the Losada effect is the ratio of positive emotion to negative emotion each day. This ratio claims that strong teams in the research had a Losada ratio of three to one positive to negative emotions. And this was extrapolated to people and families and other situations, suggesting that this three to one ratio can enable people and families and teams to achieve greater outcomes. Now, some scientists have criticized the original research in setting this ratio of three to one, but I buy into the concept fully. And from what I've experienced in my own leadership and life, this ratio of three to one is just right. It's appropriate. And parents, a ratio of three to one, positive to negative emotion, can help your children and give them personal power. Leaders, a ratio of three to one, positive to negative emotion, can help your teams and give them power. And for each of us, the same thing, a ratio of three to one, Positive to negative emotion can empower us with great personal power. Now, from the research, the proven ways to increase the ratio are laughing, gratitude, optimism, and physical exercise. As the story goes, a woman and her husband interrupted their vacation to go to a dentist. I want a tooth pulled and I don't want Novocaine because I'm in a big hurry, the woman insisted. Just extract the tooth as quickly as possible and we'll be on our way. The dentist was quite impressed. You're certainly a brave woman, he said. Which tooth is it? With that, the woman turned to her husband and said, show him your tooth, dear. <laughs> as the story goes, two women riding in a car in a fatal car accident. And when they arrive at the pearly gates, St. Peter tells them, we really only have one rule here. Don't step on the duck. If you do, there are consequences. As they enter heaven, there are quite a number of ducks, 
And after a few days, one woman steps on a duck. Within a few hours, an official arrives with a very ugly man in tow. He handcuffs the woman to the ugly man and says, you will be bound together for eternity. Now, the other woman is thinking, man, I had better not step on a duck. And she was extra careful. But in a few days, out of the blue, the same official appears with a very tall, handsome man and handcuffs her to the man and says, you will be bound together for eternity. She can't believe how lucky she is. And she says to the man, well, what did I do to deserve this? To which he replied, I don't know what you did, but I stepped on a duck. You can feel the power when you laugh. Positive emotion gives you personal power. Now, in December 1914, Thomas Edison's factory consisted of a series of buildings, and he had many employees. One night, one building caught fire and spread from one building to the next, destroying everything. Although the damage exceeded $2 million, the buildings were only insured for 238000 because they were made of concrete and thought to be fireproof. And much of Edison's life's work went up in spectacular flames that December night. At the height of the fire, Edison's 24-year-old son, Charles, frantically searched for his father among the smoke and chaos. When he finally found him, his dad was mesmerized watching the scene, his face glowing in the reflection and his white hair blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67 no longer a young man, and everything he had built was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, find her, bring her here. She'll never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there's great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. As you may well know, most of Edison's best inventions most of what we use today came after the rebuild. There is power in laughter and gratitude. When you employ these behaviors, your positive emotion ratio increases. And the ratio of your family and children and team increases. You know, when our family gets together and we laugh, something happens inside of me. My physical makeup changes. And all of a sudden, whatever stress I was feeling disappears. I feel more capable, more loving, more kind, and more happy. The medicine of laughter is a miraculous thing. Now, the one thing I didn't mention that the researchers have shown that increases your positive emotion ratio is exercise. Exercise works. You'd be surprised what a 30-minute walk will do for your personal power. It simply works. Exercise increases your level of endorphins, which are natural mood lifters. Exercise helps by getting your sleep patterns back to normal. Exercise gives you a focused activity that can help you feel a sense of accomplishment. And exercise reduces stress and anxiety. A recent study done at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health found that running for 15 minutes a day or walking for an hour reduces the risk of major depression by 26%. People who exercise regularly tend to do so because it gives them an enormous sense of well-being. They feel more energetic throughout the day. As I mentioned, sleep better at night, have sharper memories, feel more relaxed and positive about themselves and their lives. So 
As we end today, if you find yourself like Julianne, waiting and hoping for a change in circumstances, get determined. Put on your personal power and begin to act. Remember, small streams lead to rivers and rivers lead to your end goal. Put on your personal power by gaining new skills, even if they're small skills, and learn all you can. And play your cards right by giving yourself a new title, a new sign, and elevate the work that you're doing. And most of all, increase your positive emotion ratio in your life and on your team and in your family. Thanks for being here today. We'll talk about the next steps to opening your eyes in our next podcast. And I look forward to being with you again soon. Yeah.